It's Wednesday, July 22nd, 2015, and you're listening to episode 372 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 55 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. My name's Chad. This is Brodor. You're back again after that last one. I know, right? That's and crazy. I thought we fired this guy <laughs> for his blumpkins and his... I uh, can't fire him. It's, it's a plumpkin. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's a plumpkin <laughs> performed by a jack-o'-lantern. That's right. You're okay. Uh, Portmanteau. So, <laughs> <laughs> can save your show. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, because I'm taking no credit for this. Well, this is happening. Brilliant. This is you. <laughs> All you. I'm sorry. have blame Best and favorite. credit confused. True. If you want another portmanteau, that would be bled it <laughs> or cream. Cream. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like some cream with that. All right. So there was a topic we didn't get to in last episode, which is what we're talking about this episode. We're going to talk a little bit about comics. Mm-hmm. And then I want to talk about comics as they relate to role-playing games. When we did this topic last time, I really didn't have a whole lot of strong opinions for a simple reason that I've not consumed a lot of comics. Now, I've read a lot of comic strips, but if we talk about, you like... You used to be a huge Garfield fan. Oh, yeah. I used to read almost everything. And actually, a couple of years back, I went back and read some of Jim Davis's earlier stuff. Was it awful? No. It was freaking <laughs> hilarious. Before that comic was being made by Formula and Committee. Right. Like, the first year or two, you could tell he was trying to find his footing. But then if you go through that mid-early run of, like, his... When he was still actually doing Yes. Oh, he still has an active part now. There is a documentary on Netflix you should watch, Dan. It's called Stripped. uh Uh-huh. And he is a big part of it. It's in my queue. Yeah. Hmm. They actually, they go through, and he doesn't do a lot of interviews, doesn't let people in usually. But he let them come in, film, they do a lot of talking, and he's right up there, signs off on everything Garfield that goes out. And that may be true, but the creative spark is gone. Oh, yeah. But if you read the stuff that was from about his second or third year through about maybe, let's say, year 10 to 15, which sounds like a lot, but if you think about how many decades Garfield's been around for, it's not as much as it sounds like. And some of that stuff was side-splitting hilarious. I mean, just some of the plot lines they did. And I, I don't I want to bore anyone by going through them because I, mean, I can't it's imagine. It's a fat cat who loves lasagna. Yeah, but it's <laughs> it was great because at the time, yeah. he was actually telling other jokes. Mm. It wasn't mm. just about, you know, every punchline being he hates Mondays, he likes lasagna, whatever. They had all these different places they would go with the comic. And let's face it, most of them have been ripped off by other comics since then. Oh, yeah. But my favorite is Garfield without Garfield. Yeah, Garfield minus Garfield. Garfield minus Garfield. It's a Nietzschean dystopia of just <laughs> of horrible, of, of one man's descent into madness as he talks to himself. <laughs> you do know what this is, right, Bernard? I have heard people talk about it, but Garfield I have never Garfield minus Garfield. Oh, it's is, so wonderful. There's some guy who takes the Garfield so comic dark. strip and edits out Garfield. Just completely sanitizes it. Just completely it. removes yeah. him. And so what you have, like, let me give you one example, the one of the ones that I thought was freaking hilarious, is in the first frame, you see, like, a countertop with a hamburger on it, and John's standing there looking all freaked out, and he screams, this better still be here when I come back, and then it's two frames of an empty room with a hamburger on the counter. <laughs> like, the guy's just completely 
Alan Moore insane. <laughs> it's like they have a camera in my office. <laughs> and you it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Garfield minus Garfield, a link at the show notes for oh. who's not read it. But yeah, the they, subtext in it is so dark. And none of the words are changed, right? right. Yeah, it's yeah, the exact they just same comics word. Removes Garfield. Yeah, and it's freaking hilarious. And it's yeah, anyway. But the point being that last time we talked about this. Apart from a handful of comics, Dark Knight Returns, mm. the first several issues of Wildcats, I really hadn't read So, Dan, one. have you read Bone since the last episode? <laughs> I have not read Bone. <laughs> but I have read a bunch of other stuff. the last episode was like 20 minutes ago for us. I've been reading Injustice Gods Among Us, which I am absolutely loving. Yeah, for anyone that knows the video game, this is the story of the world that led to the video game Injustice Gods Among Us. And before I continue my list of what I've been reading, let me pause to say that I would really love to play in a superhero RPG set during Injustice Gods Among Us because it reminds me a lot of Necessary Evil, except the villains aren't aliens. It's the good guys. For anyone who's not familiar with the story, it's a story kind of about how good can go horribly wrong. And one of the things conspicuously left out of the story is the majority of the villains. They just aren't in there. But anyway, I read Maximum Carnage. I read the original Hush story arc. I've read World's Finest, which is part of the New 52 thing. I read, at least as far as I'm aware of, that entire run. A lot of DC so far. A lot of DC stuff, yeah. I hate DC. Well, that's the thing, though. I mean, at least kind of where I'm sitting, a lot of the really iconic storylines have been dc uh, i read that's the thing is when you look at characters dc has the icons yeah the superman the batman the wonder woman the flash the big comic book icons are dc marvel has the only character they have that i can think of that they would really put up against the others that would be an icon is spider-man yeah i'd give you that i would i mean personally as a fan i would argue captain america and I would suggest that you do yourself a favor and read Ed Brubaker's Captain America Winter Soldier oh, yeah. that the movie's loosely based on. Mm-hmm. That is a book that is really very well written. I also oh, do yeah. at some point want to read Demon in a Bottle because mm. they've got this great thing on Comixology where you can order comics by story arc yeah. and it will just say it's issued this through that. And so, I mean, that's how I got some. Now, some of these were standalone graphic novels. Uh, you, for example, I read uh, The Long Halloween. I read, uh, well, I think that was actually a series. Uh, what I'm trying to think of is Killing Joke. Killing Joke Killing was a graphic Joke. novel. But the point being here that I actually have an informed opinion on <laughs> comics now. Well, and so far it sounded like for the most part you're grabbing some of the best stuff. Yeah, except Maximum Carnage. That was freaking terrible. How long did it take you to get through that? Because oh, Maximum is not an understatement when it comes no, to that No, it just story. keeps going and going and going. And yeah, I don't remember. I think it may be one of those things like... I just kind of muscled through just to get it done. Like a terrible book you have to read for English class. I have that uh, in print trade, and it is probably the biggest book that I have because it is ridiculously huge. Either that or uh, Fatal Attractions. That one is pretty big, too. So for me, as a comic book retailer <laughs> uh, and, and a comic book fan, I find that I generally gravitate more toward the smaller press books Dark Horse, Image, etc., as opposed to Didn't the big image get two. bought by somebody. So, I, as far as inside the industry goes on that, I, I'll, I must admit ignorance. I'm not sure exactly who's in charge of what over there these days, other than Robert Kirkman's kind of a big deal because of the whole Walking Dead thing. 
He holds one of the high positions at Image at the yeah. moment. But for example, I mean, I suggested on the previous episode a couple of books, but I would say I think Invincible is an excellent superhero book, the greatest yeah. superhero comic in the universe, if you believe their tagline. <laughs> but there's a number of graphic novels that I'd highly recommend. Uh, for example, Life Eaters is very, very good. A God Somewhere is very, very good. And these are stories that they don't have the traditional superhero tropes in them necessarily, mm-hmm. but that are extremely well written. And they don't have an entrenched editorial group and a board of directors and investors that are beholden to. So we can change things a little bit, but not too much. And we're going to tell the same story again. And then six years from now, we're going to recycle that same story. And then again, a lot of the smaller press books, they push the envelope and they try to do, they try to innovate. Yeah. I have so many recommendations. It all depends on what people like. I mean, someone like me, who's a big fan of post-apocalyptic stories. I enjoyed Sally of the Wasteland recently. Right. Uh, someone who, like me, also enjoys stories where you know robots develop artificial intelligence. Alex and Ada was incredible. Really enjoyed that. Little Depressed Boy was really good. Yeah, I've not read that, but if you like Injustice Gods Among Us, basically Superman Goes Rogue, I would recommend uh, Mark Wade did a book called Nemesis. Empire, which is very good to read. And then I think, uh, was it... Uh, irredeemable which is basically that's the premise of the story really good yeah what if superman existed but he was really psychologically up by the end of it there was a spin-off series after there's irredeemable and then the spin-off series was incorruptible i actually liked incorruptible more than i liked same here the concept with incorruptible was the worst villain in that world saw that the best superhero went evil and he's like well he's gonna go bad who do i fight I'll be a hero. Well, it, I kind of got it. It was uh, sort of like a 9-11 type thing, right? You know, it's yeah. just like there was an event where the Superman character went rogue and did a really, really terrible thing and then went off and continued to be terrible. So this bad guy who was his, you know, nemesis, his rival, was like... I, I just robbed banks. Yeah, he's like, I may be a bad guy and an asshole, but that is beyond the pale and he needs to be stopped. And he's like, I can't stop him robbing banks and, and being the bad guy. He's like, if I'm going to do it, I'm, I got to go whole hog and I'm a good guy who has to punch cops occasionally. Cause they still want to arrest me. Cause I still have this record. Yeah, I like nobody it, believes me. I liked it so much better than irredeemable because for me, irredeemable reached a point where it would have been a really good ending. And then they kept going for a little bit. And I love the ending. I liked how it ended. I thought they did a good job of bringing it back in. But I think it lost its way for a story arc or two. I I agree. Yeah. My interest kind of waned on it. But it ended so strong. Are Irredeemable and Corruptible, those set with established superheroes? No. No. Every single one is completely original. That's that's the magic, right? Is when you get someone who's working for a small press company that's going to make a facsimile or right. amalgamation and then say, hey, so what if X happened with this particular character? But they reskin it. They give it a different name. The handcuffs are off at that point. Yeah. right? Those were the books that uh, that sold me on Mark Wade as a writer. Yeah. Like, I really enjoyed some of his stuff before, but once he started doing that and then as he moved around, I came to the conclusion that anything he writes, I'll give at least two issues to, yeah. to try it. His, I never cared about Daredevil, and his Daredevil was really good. And uh, 
this week I'm buying Archie number one <laughs> because Mark Wade is writing Archie number one. So I'm going to give it a shot because he has proven he has a proven track record with me that things that I thought I would hate, I've enjoyed. Right. Mark Wade writing it and Fiona Staples doing the art. Dude, yeah. I'm in, right. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about that. Well, And it's odd. Archie is not one of the small press guys. Exactly. This is a company that's been around for a long time. Right. They're doing some really good stuff right now out of nowhere. Afterlife with Archie, an adult zombie story that's basically Walking Dead with Archie characters getting slaughtered. Right. Archie versus where he gets murdered. Yeah, that he was the shot end. dead. Yep, that was the end of the uh, Life with Archie series. And these are serious. It isn't like, oh, no. ha ha, we're going to do a joke. Well, they have, they have ha ha yeah. Archie versus Predator, which is ballin'. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It is brutally violent, but it is great. Yeah. It's the same concept. They start killing people left and right in the Archie universe. Mm -hmm. But the, the one you were mentioning, Dan, they did a storyline a while back. Basically, it was in the Life with Archie comic, and they did a married storyline. Where at one point in the story, he chooses which path in a park to go down. He goes down path one, goes down path two, and they tell two different stories. One of them, he marries Betty. One of them, he marries Veronica. And then they continued that in that series through what their lives are like, how they are struggling with money with one of them, how they, uh, when they have kids, they go through all of that. And the two of them converge with his death. And that's how the series ended was his death. That's very Nietzsche-esque. <laughs> I didn't read all of it, but what I read of it, I actually enjoyed. And it was one of those things where I knew nothing about Archie. I didn't read Archie growing up. I didn't. I knew the names of the characters, but I didn't really know anything about them. And these are stories aimed at adults. And they're a very different kind of story than what you would get from other companies. I don't know what made them make this switch to suddenly telling more adult series, but... Right. They did it recently, and they are doing very good with it. So our group, our gaming group, and I guess when I say our, I really mean Chad and I, <laughs> because we have the most shared history. But Wayne, I suppose this would also include you. Rotor, obviously, I can't speak a whole lot to your experience. We don't even like you. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, even, that's cool. <laughs> if, I don't even know why you're have here. Have you so. seen your face? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, fugly, which is uh, a, a portmanteau. A port, a port, a port. What? <laughs> I don't think it ever recovered from him being beaten. No. <laughs> but one of the things that, if I look over our gaming history, we've played a lot of sci-fi, we've played a lot of fantasy, we've played urban fantasy, we've done some horror, not a whole lot. We've certainly done comedy. We have not done very many superhero games at all. You I'm know, playing I've, in my first one now. Yeah, well, it's, I know it's not your first one because briefly no, the first real one that i've played and didn't want to flip the table over. okay fair <laughs> enough because going way back we did briefly have a campaign using the old classic marvel superhero yeah. rpg uh the one that had the power chart across the back of it that... yeah the roll to get angry no that was champions <laughs> oh was it that oh, was okay. champions oh well, no, that, no, no. marvel actually had a pretty decent rule system i don't remember this marvel yeah, i've actually never seen the old marvel one i have batman the role-playing game which is based on the old DC one, but yeah. I well, don't have the, the Marvel the one. The way the Marvel one worked is it had this grid where you kind of had the scale of the character. So this is how you separate a guy who's a regular human but really strong from, say, Superman. Yes, I realize it's DC, but you get my point. This and, time frame, Spider-Man, as an example, would be a 10-ton lifting character. 
based on the this would be the 80s i'm guessing yes yes so, spider-man luke cage are about 10 tons at that point okay and so you have this list and they had adjectives it was like normal superhuman amazing i don't remember what but it went on across the bottom and then you would have a difficulty to describe the action okay so lifting a car might be whatever whereas lifting a building is something more difficult and so you would roll and based on where you're at and where that task was at there'd then be a point where those two come together and say if you succeed or not do you get a bonus if aunt may needs medication and you have it on you (laughs) (laughs) i don't get either i don't don't have any idea what they're talking about (laughs) but we played that game Mm-hmm. And it went all right. It just it didn't click with us. And I think See, I part, don't even remember it. At yeah, all. and what I was think, I playing. I don't even remember. But I think part was of the reason. Awesome? Sure, <laughs> but I think part of the reason it didn't click is because of the fact that comics was really not a big part of our childhood. You know, uh, I had Spider Ham. Well, bitch. <laughs> yeah, a lot of this you got in the nineties, though. Spider Ham is all you need. Okay. I'm going to throw up. <laughs> but you know if you look throw at, up with joy and bacon. <laughs> but if you look at this I bought a Spider-Ham uh, framed picture at Fear the Con from Mikey I, Mason. I don't have an opinion. But <laughs> if you look at the stuff that we grew Spider-Man up with, rocks. books, TV uh-huh. shows, movies, comics was just really never our thing until uh, we kind of started dabbling in them a little bit in the 90s mm-hmm. when we knew a guy who owned his own comic shop. And, <laughs> yeah, we had pull lists, and he never filled them, and yeah, put the wrong things in them, and it was awful. And then, and then that was our opinion of comics. I, I, I'm not an expert, <laughs> but I, I'm pretty sure that's not how that's supposed to. Work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, it, it was our not. first real experience of this is the comic book hobby, not just like, oh, well, there's a Superman with a crazy cover in a grocery store. Why not? Oh, that was okay, whatever. No, this was like. Okay, we're going to do the comic book thing. We're going to go to a comic book shop. We know a guy. Yeah. He's going to give us some titles to read. We're going to get a pull list. We're going to get a pull box. We're going to pull it. But then that is what happened to us. Did I ever we're, tell you where my first comic shop was? Where? So this was uh, growing up. The first comic books I really bought myself, I had won a gift card It's for something at school. and I bought uh-huh. some stuff at like Target. But my first shop, there was a video store that was right next door to the laundromat. And in the corner of it, they had comic books. They called it Corner Comics. Mm. Eventually, they moved out. This was, you know, back Stone in, Age. Yeah, late 80s, early 90s kind of thing, time frame. They eventually moved out and got their own store over in Festus, and they still called it Corner Comics. Mm. But that was the history of they were in the corner of laundry, the video rental oh, the place video store. Yeah. that was right next door to the laundromat. Because I wasn't going to stay in the laundromat where my mom was doing laundry. I was going to go next door and look at all the movies. My parents would go grocery shopping, and I absolutely hated it because it's exceedingly boring, especially going with my dad, who is a food broker that sells food to grocery stores. So going through the aisles, he's also doing his job, which is, you know, checking displays and talking to people and all this sort of stuff. And so it's super boring for me. He's He would also go with coupons, and he would see someone in the aisle picking up one of his rival's product walk over to them and hand them a free coupon for his product and chat them up a bit. So that was 
That's awful. a power move right there. Yeah, it is. So I still remember you when I had all the time. I had no money and my mom would go gro- would go shopping at like Walmart. Mm-hmm. Walmart at the time had a McDonald's in the back of it. So I would go up to the comic area, pick out everything I wanted to read and go back and read it while she was doing grocery shopping. That is uh the correct term for that is burn stealing. Uh-huh. Because John Byrne said that reading something on the rack without paying for it is just the same as stealing. And as much as I hate John Byrne, I agree with that statement. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, like similar to you, comic books weren't a big part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. I read a book here and there when I was a kid. But when I was in high school, my buddy Toby Shorts was a member of a book club. That's right, baby. I had friends that were in book clubs in high school. That's that's how much I was getting. <laughs> so anyway, Toby's in this book club and he gets a copy of Alan Moore's Watchmen, you know, in a big hardcover edition. And Toby says to me, dude, it's a comic book. I'm not going to read it. You're weird. You read it. <laughs> and blew my mind. Absolutely blew my mind that comic books could be so mature and tackle the subject matter that they did and really tell this sort of involved conspiracy. And had I, detailed art that wasn't like bleeding or just three color or anything. Yeah. I was sold. And so I've been shopping with the fantasy shop ever since. Do you remember your first story arc that you followed? So the short answer is no. I mean, I remember the first first book I read, and I still have that copy of the Watchmen hardcover. But I dabbled in a variety of different books. But for me, it was never really the superheroes and the big four-color stuff that hooked me. The big book that I got into shortly after Watchmen was Hellblazer. I believe Garth Ennis was writing it at the time. And I've been following a lot of his work ever since. Uh, You know, that reminds me, too, when you said, do you remember what your first arc is? Yeah. So Dan and I had a really horrible introduction to comic books through the store because they just screwed everything up for us all the time. Well, on top of that, the time when Dan and I got into comics was the late 90s when comics were terrible and they were just awful storylines. Rob Liefeld, all that kind of crap. It was kind of a weird place to be because they'd gotten past the comic camp Right. Of the prior ages, so you didn't have all it the... It was a post-Watchmen generation, but it was just like... But yeah, it was... Throw as much shit against the wall and see what sticks. Exactly. Everything was just so over the top. Yeah. Big guns, big muscles, and a lot of pouches. Yep. Yeah, and it was just... Everything was so it ridiculous. Was Liefeld and people copying Liefeld. And... Which, he's horrendous. Yeah. Like, I, I think he has a foot phobia. <laughs> like I, I think he's so deathly afraid of feet, he refuses to draw them. Not not only is he not capable, but he refuses. Mm-hmm. No. That's when I realized when I was doing my uh, gnarled draws Kickstarter rewards, <laughs> which is you know gnarled draws pictures for people. I suddenly realized that my persona has surpassed Rob Liefeld because I drew at least five or six different sets of feet in my art. <laughs> There, I'm sure there's more than one, but I know that there's at least one big website out there that is dedicated to his inconsistencies. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's really a lot of fun. I can tell you, my gnarl picture is brilliant. It is brilliant. <laughs> there's, there's no, there's feet, no feet, in feet in it, though. No, no. It's, it's, okay. it's okay. I mean, gnarl is standing in front of which I assume to be the pyramids of Giza <laughs> sure. or, or mountains of some kind. He is a flame. And he's dressed in his armor with his guitar, which is also an axe, his proper axe, as a member of the band Gwar, with a burning plane getting ready to crash in the background. It's wonderful. So my first actual story arc that I followed... 
because I picked things up on and off, was uh, I watched the 92 X-Men cartoon. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I'm, I'm interested in X-Men, so I went in to pick up an issue of X-Men. I love this that was, cartoon. Amen. Well, this was right back. when it's Age of Apocalypse painful. started. So the first issue I pick up is X-Men, which is one of my favorite characters to this day. And I'm looking at, this is an alternate reality where Apocalypse has taken over the world and basically killed almost all the humans. So I'm reading through, it's like, what is going on here? This guy's finding Xavier's mansion, it's destroyed, and I'm reading through, I have no clue what's going on. So that was the first big storyline that I followed, because then I wanted to know more. So I would pick up more in that, you know, more series tied to it. And it's still, when I look back... I think that may be my favorite crossover of all time, and it might just be because it was my first. That was one of my problems with comic books, too, of where do you start? I mean, hey, X-Men. I like the X-Men movies. I want to read some X-Men. I don't know anything about comics or X-Men. Go and pick up whatever today's issue of Uncanny X-Men is. Start reading it, and you're like, what the hell is even going on? These days, you can get a first issue or just wait for a month and you can get a first issue of the same series. Right, that's what I, that was going to be my recommendation. If you're dissatisfied or don't know where to start, <laughs> wait six months, they're going to start over. Yeah. Bendis but, has done, I think, three different New Avengers number ones in the time he was writing, and that was like under five years worth of time. Yeah. Wikipedia is good for that. Yeah, I mean, for, yeah, for good history, now, background. Yeah. That's that sort why of thing. absolutely it's fallen to buying story arcs, right? Because you I, can do that nowadays. Yeah, you just pick up a story arc and say, "Look, I've heard this run of what was the Tower of Babel? You know, mm, JLA, yeah, yeah, yeah the Justice good. League. I did not read the entire Justice League series. I couldn't even tell you what issue numbers those were." But I just went out and bought that story arc. That's a was, good standalone story. Yeah, for, and it's for like sure. Four or five comic books or whatever. And, you know, I read that story arc. I mean, it was terrible. But Maximum Carnage is the same way. It just falls <laughs> in the middle of some long running Spider-Man comic. And it was freaking awful. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, there you go. I mean, that, that yeah, was. See, at this point, when I look at the big two, there's really not much of anything they're putting out that I'm interested in at the moment. And it's sad because those are some of my favorite characters. I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. I'm a huge Superman fan. DC, to me, what they're printing right now is not Superman. Dude, I, well, and as a Superman fan, I understand why you'd hate it, but I just cannot get enough of Injustice. Oh, no, I love Injustice. It's one of those things where I had I came to the conclusion, because Superman's always been my big hero. It's the yeah. He was the ultimate hero to look up to. But then I start looking at all of these alternate storylines, and when you look at it, what happens when Superman loses Lois? He either retires or he goes evil. What happens when Spider-Man loses his girlfriend? He gets a little emo, and then he comes back stronger than ever. Thus, Spider-Man is actually the greater hero. Hmm. Came to that conclusion myself until they had to make a deal with Mephisto to undo his whole marriage. I don't have an opinion. (laughs) (laughs) So here's how I want to tie it back to gaming. One of the things that I am going to openly admit, and I think we've talked about before in this show's run, is that I have not done very much superhero gaming at all. I have not played many campaigns. I have not run many campaigns. In fact, I have only messed with a very small number of superhero systems. I would love to sit here and wax eloquent about the current system Marvel has out or the current iteration of the hero system or something like that. And I simply can't do it. I mean, I don't know much of anything about them. And yet that's something that 
the more I read comics, the more I'm interested in doing. And I think that's one of the great things about role playing in general is we don't just want to consume the things we're interested in. Role playing kind of gives you that spark of wanting to project yourself into those, to wanting to create something for them or to be part of those stories. I mean, I'm one of those people, I can't watch a TV show or read a book or read a comic book without being like, man, if I was there, <laughs> this is what I'd be doing. You know, I, that's just part of my thought process. Well, they, I think that if they caught on, they could predict when I would want to run the next Dresden arcs because it's always when the book has just come out and I just finished it because <laughs> then I'm back re-immersed in that world of Dresden. With comics, I'm always reading them. and I'm always wanting to run or play in it. It just very frequently hasn't ever worked out to, to have. I played my online game, love it, but again, we have scheduling issues. What system do you prefer for superheroes? That's a good question, because I've tried one-shots in Wild Talents. I didn't care for that, because I don't like the one-roll engine. It's personal preference. I just don't care for okay. it. Savage World Superhero Compendium was actually pretty good, except I don't like the base Savage Worlds. Fair enough. Mutants and Masterminds, I enjoy, but it has some of the trappings of Savage Worlds that I That's don't care for now, as well. Right? Yeah. Mutants and Masterminds. I find, all right. I find at this point, I think I want hit points back. I, uh, so basically, the game that, out of all of the games I've ever played and tried, the one that felt the most super heroic to me, felt like I was playing a four-color comic book, Yeah, was Champions. Because the way the system was built in, every attack just about had knockback. So there wasn't a lot of trying to go back and forth with one person. You could easily move around and fight different villains, trade off the villains you were fighting, and it always felt like it was in motion. And that may have just been a really good GM that was running the game, but more than any other system, it seemed to support the superhero aspect. The I felt like things were powerful. You know, you were we were throwing cars around and you know knocking people back when they got hit. You know, we're playing mutants and masterminds right now, and I have to say that once the characters are created, the system is what combat is fine. Rolling the crunch, the numbers are fine. It, it feels very superhero-y. When you try to get what you want out of the system to make the hero you want, it's very open. You can totally do whatever you want. It is so easy to break that game. Yeah, it, there is so much to it. There's so many things that you can do. It's very easy to break, but you can really get the character that you want out of it. Unfortunately, I would say my biggest complaint with it is the process of making characters with it. I felt like I was doing my taxes. We even had, and you're talking about mutants and masterminds, right. not champions. No, not because champions. he champions, hasn't made a champion champions character. To turn that to eleven. Oh God, yeah, yeah. champions is mutants and mastermind. We had, and I'm not even saying, oh, it, it. There's too much math. There's too much, you know, crunch. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, the math is completely doable. It's just there's too much. There's too much. There's something about the product. There's so many options. There's so many ways that it's like okay i want this ability now i want this ability to do x y and z well that means i need to tag this to it which affects it to this and i need to tag that to this which means it's going to affect it to this but it affects it in a way that i don't quite want it to which means i need to pull down another power that does this and and kind of craft this well that's very interesting because you i've never found a character i couldn't make in it because of the options you could tweak exactly what you want but Oh my god. I mean, if you've ever done the long form taxes with a pencil and a piece of paper, that is how painful this is. 
We were using Hero Lab just to simplify it because it was so... Even using this program to make the characters and it does all the math. Again, the math is fine, but it's just all the little tweaks and levers and numbers and little dials and and all the little stuff that you do to it. I was going to make a character... My character is a magical background. Uh, he, he, he drives his power from this sort of Necronomicon-type book that does this crazy stuff. And my original concept for him was that he himself is not powerful. He's, a, he, he's kind of a brain guy. He's a conduit, really, right. Yeah, he's, he's really smart, but he's, you could slap him and he'd crumple. But he could summon minions. He's going to be like kind of a, a magical mastermind-type guy. And then the minions were each going to be different. They were going to each do different things. One was like a protector. One was like the damage guy. One was like a utility one that could do different stuff. And one was going to be like this font of knowledge. Like all it could do is... And these were like evil spirits that he control with the book. And so I'm making the characters and I get to my first minion that I'm creating and I have to... You have to make a new character. Make a new yeah. character. I have to make a new character. And it took me an hour to make this character. Now I've got to make five more characters. And I was like, nope. In the end, I was glad that it was overwhelming for oh, him. Oh, my God. Because he was about to make the character with the robots again. Because yeah. other people, no one said it to me at the time. But right after that, I tried it, but... right after that, everyone's like, I'm so glad that didn't work. Because one of his minions was going to basically do what i could do just as well except maybe even better because it could be min max to do it right because it didn't need to be well-rounded it's yeah, a it didn't demon you're smarter charismatic so it's or... like he's making something to replace all of us here at the table yeah so for for me i've played mutants and masterminds and i like the savage world superhero system i know there are a number of other systems out there I, too, have played Champions. Which... Is it just me, or does it look like the Savage World superhero system? Basically, the uh, the superhero compendium basically just took the mutants and masterminds' powers and blatantly ripped them off and copied them? So, I know that originally it was done as necessary evil, and that there right. have been two versions of the superhero companion. I couldn't tell you which one came out first. Yeah, because it's the superhero companion is the one that I've been using, not yeah. necessary evil. Gotcha. But... Both are interesting to me. I personally, I mean, I've said it before on the mics. I like Savage Worlds. I know that it has its flaws, but I mean, it's arguable that all systems have their flaws. Uh, Mutants and Masterminds, for me, I I agree, is Mm -hmm. a little too complicated. I like the sort of fast and loose of the Savage Worlds. But for me, with my particular game group, the issue generally boils down to most of the people that I'm gaming with just aren't into the comic books as much as I am. Right. So they would rather do a science fiction or a paranormal or a fantasy as opposed to a superhero game. Yeah. I think that might have been some of the problem in the past, too. We didn't have people that were gung-ho for superheroes. And I, right. I still don't know that we do around the table well, as much. Well, I am. I like it. And then I can't speak for Sarah. I know Dawn is. Dawn is huge into comic books. She loves comic books. I think I would enjoy it provided there was some amount of moral complexity. I don't want Silver Age camp. I also wouldn't want any of the 90s just over the top, no. whatever. Uh, but <laughs> that's what I ran was sort of silly, campy, over the, over the top. I mean, I, I had a villainous named Lady Lash, and <laughs> she was a dominatrix, and she had the Disciples of Discipline. Those were her goons, and they were all like upper middle class, white execs, all fresh in harnesses and what have you. But I just want to put this yeah. out here. But 
<laughs> My City of Heroes characters were better than that. <laughs> they were less ridiculous. <laughs> so that was that was that was a lot of fun. It, and it, it kind of went silly from there. But you anyway. know what made me want to run the uh, the superhero game this time was I had a concept I wanted to play with, and I thought superheroes would be the best way to work with this. And they've gotten far enough that I think I even mentioned it to Chad what the idea was. You have all of these alternate reality storylines yeah. where one person knows that it's different and remembers it and finds a group of people to help him fix everything. Well, I wanted to basically explore that concept. You're somebody in your world where you've lived all your life, and now there is somebody who is telling you your world is wrong. Are you really going to want to let them change it? You know, what's funny is... Oh, I when see he, you're from the alternate reality. Yeah. yeah but, but you think it's wrong. But that's your reality. So the entire exactly. group is wrestling with this sort of moral conundrum in different ways. Some of them are really wrestling with it. Some are like, hmm, that's an interesting concept. Some of them have loved ones alive in the other reality that are dead in this one. My character is dead in the other reality. <laughs> there is no moral gray, gray area for my character. I know who the bad guy is. The bad guy is the asshole who's trying to change reality back to what it's supposed to be, thus ending my life. <laughs> you know, and that's actually, that could be a pretty cool game. The that, comic- that's the whole concept I was going with, is they always jump to change I turned him back. Into a, yeah. I turned him into a brain-damaged homeless man. And then you go back to the other reality, <laughs> and you haunt your loved ones. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I just look at them when they okay, take showers. Okay, so one of, the, one of the comics that I read recently was a pretty good run of world's finest okay and i gotta say i'm i'm not largely speaking a big fan of the new 52 but world's finest at least the the sections i was reading was kind of jumping back and forth between batman and superman in the main reality at earth one or whatever that is in dc and then they had this earth one hour like you're we are sitting here on earth one not anymore Oh, oh, I'm oh, I thought it was. I thought in DC Earth One was this reality, but Marvel was a different. I I don't remember. I actually looked this up out of there curiosity. There used to be and... an Earth Prime that was supposed to right. be our world. It doesn't exist anymore. Okay, but obviously, <laughs> but at the same time, they were kind of cutting back and forth between that and the story with a revised Power Girl and Huntress. And I really liked Huntress. I did not like what they did with Power Girl at all. But they were dealing a lot with that issue and that storyline of which reality is the proper reality, which one is what things are supposed to look like. Now, of course, that was a somewhat different story because these realities simultaneously coexist. Yeah, it wasn't a case where one world has been changed. Yeah, it's not like somebody, like an X-Men story where somebody went back in time and changed something and this world is not supposed to be this way. But it's the only world I know, and maybe in the other world, I'm dead, or I'm in a really bad place, or whatever, whereas in this reality, I've at least got things somewhat controlled. And that's an interesting point. From my perspective, no matter how convinced or even how right you are about some other reality being the correct one, that doesn't mean I'm going to accept you trying to change that. Exactly. And that doesn't mean that the person trying to change it is a bad guy either. No. No, he's the bad guy. But I like it. When, that's it's, the idea it's, I was complicated. Yeah. I like it because that's one of the things I dislike about some comic books is the oversimplicity of the story. 
that you have a good guy who's perfectly good, you have a bad guy who wants to blow up the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid fish. (laughs) Show you. (laughs) You have to stop them. You know, it's okay. It's fun. It's all right, but there's just not much of a story there's there. No, there's not a lot of depth. Yeah, there's nothing yeah. to explore. There's nothing to really compel me to want to investigate this and contemplate it, to really think about, you know, where's my motivation and all of this, and what is it I really want to happen? And it was reading Injustice that was the first story where I was kind of like, you know, this is a complex thing I would want to be a part of. I would have opinions about this. I guess I got something similar, though I didn't get it from the comics. I've never read marvel civil war but i did get it in the form of ultimate alliance 2 the video game which covers the the marvel civil war and i don't know how similar the two plot lines are but gonna get in a movie soon yeah Mm -hmm. i know but at least in the video game i thought both sides had pretty damn good points now what happened thereafter i thought made one side pretty clearly right and the other pretty clearly wrong but at least how it started off i really was not sure who i agreed with and I was playing Juggernaut because <laughs> I, I, you know what? They offered him as a uh, pre-order thing. And so I pre-ordered just oh, to get him. I totally had to do it. And needless to say, all of my out loud monologuing while I played this game was taken straight from the Juggernaut cartoon on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Civil War as a concept, I think it's very interesting. I think Civil War, the seven issue miniseries was very, very poorly done. And if you want the full story, there's so much tie-in stuff that you have to read. Personally, as an audience member, I find it unmanageable. I don't think it was a very good book. But conceptually, the registration versus non-registration idea in a superhero game, I think it'd be really good. I like that idea of the greys. Because I got a little tired on Marvel's side after that. It seemed heroes just kept fighting heroes for the next few years. I can't take it. And I I got sick of it. But when it started, it was an interesting concept. They just had to follow it up with Avengers versus X-Men and some of these other things, Secret Invasion, other things to make heroes fight heroes. And if you keep fighting heroes, you get sick of it. You need to fight some bad guys or at least some morally gray guys. Marvel's been doing some trite, just obnoxious, unnecessary, arbitrary event for years and years now yep. i mean all the way back to house of m the event doesn't never stop the event ends with the start of the next event right. they, with, with a cliffhanger a just limp lackluster <laughs> uninteresting ending that's just a springboard for the next boring piece of shit. yeah but i don't have an opinion <laughs> <laughs> what's your guilty pleasure comic tarot it's tarot isn't it wayne no <laughs> guilty pleasure tarot Tarot is basically the blue balls of comics. <laughs> it's really a lot of T and A with no meat and potatoes, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> There's no money shot. <laughs> you know, I would have said that, you know, because I was reading some of the Archie stuff, and I would have said that would have been a guilty pleasure because I typically wouldn't admit to reading Archie stuff. But I don't know that I have one right now. I'm between guilty pleasures at the moment. Yeah, I would have to make the same assessment. I don't think I have a book that is a guilty pleasure to me. There is a book that I think some people out there would say is not very good, which I think is quite brilliant called skull kickers, which is a dungeons and dragons oh. parody. The it was great. Yeah. They did one of the mini series 
every issue was number one yeah. with a different <laughs> adjective. So, so, it was the amazing skull kickers, the astonishing skull kickers. <laughs> mocking everybody, right? So the main characters are human and dwarf. And it's not explained until later, but human has a freaking gold-plated six-shooter, right? And it's just this asinine, just mocking completely one-dimensional D&D games, right? <laughs> right? But there's so much going on in the world. But uh, Jim Zub, the the, cre- the writer of the book, he was at a, a Comic-Con, and he was on a panel, and somebody asked him, so, uh, listen, your book's kind of fun and what have you, but I really would like to know more about the world and what's going on to see you guys do some world building and really get in depth on who the characters are and, and, and what the world is like and the environment, etc. And Jim Zub leans into the microphone and he goes, do you know what a goblin is? And the guy's like, yes. He goes, good. In this book where you kill a shit ton of those. <laughs> it is, it's a very fun book. So in, a, in a following episode, there were two city guards walking along talking about the socioeconomic disparities of their city. And then a monster just fucking smashes them. <laughs> I would say, the last thing I can think of as a guilty pleasure was uh, probably fanboys versus zombies. Yeah, yeah. I thumbed through the first couple issues of that, but it didn't ring my bell, but I can certainly see where it was. It wasn't very good, but I kept yeah. buying it and reading yeah. it because it was fun. For me, it's Wings with Tony Shalhoub <laughs> and Crystal Bernard and Timothy Daly at all. That's my guilty pleasure. Hmm. Anything by the Luna Brothers, because while I love their stuff, their art, when people see it, you don't want to be seen reading it because they'll think you're looking at porn. Girls is so good. <laughs> that is the big example. Sword is so good. There's a couple solid titles. Of Alex and Ada that I've talked about right. is a uh, Luna Brothers book. I don't have any yeah. guilty pleasures. For, for me, it would be so if whatever. <laughs> I have no shame, the... so I have no guilt. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> whatever's whatever's just this ridiculous over the top gore hound thing of that like Uber. There's a book called Uber, yeah. and it's basically the Nazis have their own super soldier project. They're on the brink of losing the war, and then these Nazi soldiers show up with superpowers. And I mean, it's so obnoxiously gory. It's <laughs> it's ridiculous, but it's a lot of fun, and it, there's a lot more depth to it. But actually, anything by Xenoscope that I read. All right. Because Here we go. there's a lot of oh yeah, it's all TNA. Yeah. Like, yeah. Fly, I loved Fly. Yeah, which the is concept, well written. The concept of Fly is the movie My Super Ex Girlfriend. Yeah, only add in a drug addiction as well hmm. for the for the super powered okay, drug for the, uh, Yeah, and that's the concept of the series. And they had two arcs of it. Both were incredibly good, but because it's Xenoscope. All the covers look really. Oh, it's all yeah. it's all spank bank stuff, man. I mean, yeah. you need to put it in a bag and board, not because you want to protect it for value, but because you don't want it to get glazed <laughs> no. in, in the store. Yeah. So, I, okay, so all right, I, I know I know I'm going down a crazy road, but there's a book that Warren Ellis did from a company called Avatar, and all Avatar does is just vile, gory bullshit, right? I love some Avatar stuff. Right. Me, me too. There's a book that Warren Ellis did called Gravel. And if you like the Dresden Files universe, uh-huh. so Gravel is basically Dresden with bollocks because he's an Englishman, right? So he's got bollocks. So it's all just really out there, gross, wickedly inappropriate. I wouldn't want my kids at 30 to read this stuff, <laughs> but he's a magician for the SAS. So he's a special ops SAS magician who fights monsters. Hmm. It, it It's messed up. Yeah. I picked up a book a couple months ago called Part-Time Princesses. I haven't read that. 
you know that my first job was at Six Flags. It was a theme park. This is a book about three teenage girls working at a theme park and how much they hate all the customers that are coming up to them right. because they are the Disney princesses. And they have to deal with all these snot-nosed little kids coming up to them throughout the day. Right. And Uncle Slippy Fist. Yeah. <laughs> huh. So, all right. So here's my actual guilty pleasure. Okay. Uncle it's, Slippy Fist. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 and I'm guilty. <laughs> so there's a book that Ted, uh, Ted Nafai, as I'm pronouncing it correctly, did called Courtney Crumrin. And she's basically a teenage wizard. Right. It's sort of a Sabrina, the teenage witch sort of thing. But she goes off to live with her uncle Aloysius, who's like an actual hardcore wizard. And she wants to learn magic. And it's basically geared toward teenage girls. So that makes me feel guilty because I've never wanted to be a teenage girl like Joss Whedon. But but Courtney Crumrin's really, really good and sweet and well-written. I read a lot of books that are actually what the quote-unquote all ages, Mm -hmm. but they're definitely geared toward a younger audience that are just sweet and heartfelt and touching. And it makes me, I don't know, reminds me that I'm, you know, human. Garbage that punches cops. Well, (laughs) and receives the punching too. You can only read so much superheroes punching supervillains for punchy reasons. Comic books. I mean, I can only deal with so much dark. I need something to mix it up. Some levity. Right. I grow really tired of spandex. Unless Wayne hands me a book and says, this is awesome. Nine times out of ten, it is going to be awesome. And he hands me like superhero thing. Usually he hands me a superhero thing when I say, yeah, I don't really like superhero books. They're kind of lame and I don't care right. for them. He hands me one yeah. that's like, oh, my God, this is so awesome. Well, Just, you know, that's one of the me, things right? that I think works for me is I do like the superhero stories. I'm not restricted to just those, right. but I do like them. But sitting here in 2015, picking up comics as a hobby, when the history of comics as we understand them. I would say it goes back to at least the 1930s. You could actually argue it maybe goes all the way back into the 19th century, but it certainly would say at least goes back to like the 1930s, 40s, whatever. There are so many stories that have been told that there's a lot of good ones to pick out of the rough. I mean, there's an enormous amount of crap, but there's been so much done. There's so much available that getting some recommendations and picking up something good is, you know, it's, it's not that hard to do. And Sometimes you hit those disappointments, maybe not because the story was bad, but because the story didn't continue. Uh, there was someone, I don't remember who, so I won't give credit here either way, but there's someone that recommended to me, uh, they heard that I enjoyed the first couple issues of Wildcats, and they suggested a series called Wildcats 3.0, which is uses the same characters, but it's a very different kind of story. So I mean, you have these people... Less that, 90s and more good? Yes. And it's it's very it's kind of a strange story in that what it's about is you have all these people that were superheroes and supervillains and whatever. And one of them decides that he's going to change the world, not through punching bad guys anymore, but through running a large corporation that he's going to use to introduce various super technologies or whatever to the world. And it's about all the drama that goes on behind the scenes surrounding that and the way that people are responding to him and responding to this company. And then it kind of abruptly ends. 
<laughs> because I don't know if that's how they meant for it to end or if it just plain ran out of, of interest. I don't know what happened. I said, there. I have no idea when it was printed. It may have been caught up in the whole New 52 thing because Grifter is in the regular DC universe. Yes, I, I did remember that. And that's what I was thinking earlier about Image being bought out by somebody. As I remembered seeing yeah. some of the Image characters See, the, in other well, that was The thing to remember about wild, Image. That was Wildstorm. The thing to remember about Image, Image is a... Oh, Image didn't do Wildcats? No. No. Well, so... Kind of, sort of. So here's the thing about Image. Image is a big conglomerate. There are other companies that are tied in with it, but there are separate imprints. So Wildstorm DC eventually picked up. They were their own company for a while. They were affiliated with Image. What are some of the big ones that are tied? Like Top Cow, I think, is Right, Homage Comics. Yes, Top Cow. All of those are image imprints but they're their own the companies and wildstorm was kind of like that except dc then bought them did you read rising stars by j michael straczynski yeah i think that's a good recommendation midnight nation by j michael straczynski that one something. i haven't read it so police officer gets his soul stolen by a servant of lucifer and he has to go on a spirit journey and walk from los angeles to new york because of course the devil lives in new york he has to confront satan and get his soul back. It's really, really super good. So, Dan, my favorite Wildcat story of all time was the Wildcat Spawn crossover. I did not I don't know it. if you've ever read it. No. It's a four-issue thing that I just absolutely love. I like some of the Spawn crossovers they've done. They did two crossovers with Batman. One of them wasn't very good. The other one was really good. Never read them. I did read the Batman versus Predator stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Batman Punisher, again, they did two of them. One was good, one of them wasn't. I love the Punisher, particularly Garth Ennis did a 60-issue run called Punisher Max, and then did uh, a mini-series. It was interesting because it followed it kind of real time. Right. So So he got older, and the characters kept getting older, and it was a very realistic take on, I don't think there were any superpowers at all in it. Did you read Punisher Born? Oh, so it was basically the Punisher, Frank Castle, in Vietnam before yeah. he ever becomes the Punisher, before mm-hmm. his family's ever killed by the mob. It's brutal. It's amazing. It's very, very well written. And you can see, I mean, you can hear at the end of the book when you read it, you can hear the Rolling Stone sympathy for the devil playing because mm-hmm. you know this man's on a yep. path, right? It doesn't matter what what happens to this family. He's on this course, and nothing is going to take him. I also own Punisher meets Archie. Uh, <laughs> nice. Because it was does, Punisher. I had to pick it up. Does Punisher punish Archie? So the concept is Archie. Oh. Punisher is after a criminal who just happens to look exactly like Archie. Oh, good. <laughs> All right. So for those of you at home. You're going to list every single one of these comics these Jokers mentioned in the show notes, yeah, right? With, no. with links to the Wikipedia articles no, 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 and no. Comicology. But link, here's yeah. what I want to hear. <laughs> if you guys have comic series that you think are interesting and we ought to check out, please let us know. Or if you guys have any opinions on the various role-playing systems that are out there, including the ones we were not able to discuss with any sort of informedness like the new marvel system and or, such or mutant city blues which i hear very good things yes about. please stop by our forums and let us know beyond that have a great week and great games and we will catch you next time See ya. this has been a production of fear the boot copyright 2015 listeners are free to use this show in any non-commercial endeavor as long as credit is provided to fear the boot.com 
You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the Pulp Gamer Media Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at pulpgamer.com. <laughs>